Good morning, everybody. It is May 14th. You're on Iron Radio. This is Phil Stevens, uh, strength coach, Highland Games athlete, powerlifter. And uh, that's about it today. <laughs> this is Coach Durrell out of Stringfield, over in Stringfield East at this point. Um, yeah, about the same, man. I don't really have anything going on this week, competition-wise. Team's just getting ready for nationals. In Vegas. There you go. Be fun. We get sports betting in Kansas now. Are you on the Kansas yeah. side or Missouri side? I think it's on Kansas because they were talking about it yesterday morning. Yeah. It's in Kansas. Missouri didn't pass it. I failed in Missouri. But get us bet on bet on sports now. Governor put it put it through. But that'll be fun. And get back to legally betting. <laughs> <laughs> We had a, uh, a long-time listener wrote me yesterday, I think. Well, I saw it yesterday. Ronnie Bossy. He's been listening since episode one. I've ran into Ronnie a few times at different things, and he had a question. So just goes on about long-time listener. Absolutely loves the show. Um, and he started a gym himself a few years ago after hearing about Strength Guild opening. But he has a couple questions. That I'm hoping might be able to be addressed on the show. Uh, we'll do our best here. There's sadly not a lot of help we can give you. I'm, he's wondering if there's any lit- literature whatsoever connecting weightlifting as being a trigger, a trigger for arterial fibrillation. Uh, I know there's very little, there's very little bit of research with endurance athletes, but I'm not really coming up with anything for more strength athlete. Um, uh, I'm asking because I have AFib and recently had an ablation surgery. The doctor told me the weightlifting was most likely the cause. I've been lifting for approximately 20 years and never had an issue till recently. I'm not convinced that it's weightlifting, but I don't know what I don't know. Very good at paying attention to triggers and trying to make connections, but again, I have no experience with this. I'm not looking for any advice. I just want to know if there's any research out there connecting it to. I've had to change what I do, so be it. I'm just trying to reach out as many places I can to reach for what I can. I really appreciate the help. Um, I looked. I dug. I've dug before. My wife has uh, SVTs that are uh, basically you kind of go into AFib. Uh, she's had times the first time it happened, we ran to the hospital because we didn't know what the fuck was happening. Her heart rate was like 210 and stuck there. And uh yeah, it was scary. And then you learn, you kind of learn what it is. And, uh, you know, basically it's just a nerve that's miswired and every once in a while it'll set off. And, uh, we've been able to slow hers down with just diet changes and things like that and changing her training some. But oddly enough, what has the biggest change was she was trying to get back into running. So for listeners, new listeners or whatever, I'm sure we've talked about it before. My wife used to be a ultra endurance athlete. So she ran uh, ultra marathons, and uh, her longest one was 100 miles through the Tahoe Mountains, and she quit that after years of doing it because of heart issues. Uh, so she was trying to get into running again, and uh, this is shit kicked off. So oddly enough, that seemed to be a trigger. kept at, at bay for the most part 
and she can feel when things come on. But I kind of delved into the the studies yesterday, and I was looking around for them. The only thing I found, I couldn't find anything on just purely resistance training. The closest I came was numerous groups have started to do it with, you know, you have three groups. One that does, well, they're the average typical American. They sit on the couch and don't do shit. Um, one group endurance training and one more of an interval training. And either way, in in all both the groups that actually did some exercise, the AF risk went down quite a bit, um, and it went down even more in the high end, uh, high intensity group, where they were getting their heart rates above eighty five percent for short periods of time and then resting. I think it was resting three minutes in between bouts. And anyways, the conclusion of, of all of it was that people that have this shit need to exercise. <laughs> yeah. Um, it says clinicians promote exercise among other lifestyle modifications to their patients and a bit of damp in the burner of AF and its associated symptoms and to decrease heavy reliance on pharmaceutical and interventional strategies of arrhythmia management. Um, and that was the resounding thing overall. The ones I found was that, uh, yeah, it's been said that endurance exercise causes it, but like all this exercise in and of itself helps to lessen the occurrences and to kind of uh, make them more mild. So, and then it seems like the closest, like I said, the closest we can get is resistance or uh, HI hit training for seemed was the closest to like a resistance type training thing. Because I mean, I can tell you like when I'm doing the set of squats, my heart rate instantly is way the fuck up for short periods of time. Um, although it's not a direct link there. I mean, that's the closest I could find in any studies was interval training. And it seemed to help even more. That and just diet. You know, yeah. getting your body weight down, getting your blood sugars down, shit like that. So, um, yeah. I wish I could help more, but yeah, pretty much everything we would be able to say on the subject, particularly with strength training, will be speculative. Which, mm-hmm. um, so I want to preface everything I said to this with that um, first. But so part of the thing is, so it's a it's a neural pathway, either you know blockage or um, misfiring, right? Mm-hmm. So and, and particularly with anything in the heart. Like you're, no one's going to study like heart conditions under load, but it's just yeah. because of the preconceived notion that weightlifting is just like it's bad, dangerous. The only reason you would do it is to like is for aesthetics. Like that is the common mm-hmm. like theme in the in most research. So finding something that's related to heart conditions and strength training directly is going to be really tough because there's not going to be a whole lot of money in in that side of studies for the most part. Um, I think it's interesting that the endurance stuff triggered your, or triggered Sarah's SVT stuff. My mom mm-hmm. actually just recently got, went through some SVT stuff, like same thing, had to take her to the hospital and all that and yep. kind of go through that stuff. Um, so, and they'll always give, and I would just say this about kind of the average doctor's advice is it's always going to be low intensity aerobic, avoid all strength training or whatever. 
but I always feel like that's like such a small scope, right? Because let's say you stop training. You've been training 20 years and you stop training whatsoever. Now you can kind of manage your intensity a little bit better maybe. Um, like don't spend as much time, quote, unquote, pushing weights, like pushing for heavier weights maybe. Um, but getting weaker from a like a point of being stronger like it makes everything else become more strength work, right? Like particularly with like older people mm-hmm. who, you know, don't work out or whatever. And you tell them not to get, do any strength work. And it's like, okay. But then, you know, doing laundry, everyday tasks becomes more and more strength work as they become weaker. So just like that baseline philosophy, I always think is flawed, but they think that the lifting event itself is so daily, so scary and dangerous. So now, Lifting like an idiot is probably still the most dangerous thing you can do, but not most dangerous. But um, so any of the anything I've seen for the most part, it's always it's always the same recommendations from the docs, which is like no strength, no strength training, like pretty much lower your sodium, all the normal kind of old school heart rate stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would I would. And Mike would be a better person to have on here, but this is like, I would almost argue that like just the baseline, or at least the core concept of treating some of these things is very flawed based on just kind of perception, the perception of danger with lifting and all that. So I, I wouldn't be too crazy. Like lifting, I bet if you looked at, we looked at lifestyle factors that most people with this, you know, any kind of arrhythmia, the lifting would probably be the not the biggest deal. Yeah. Unless unless they're lifting, like maybe if you let's say you were a very like a pretty high level power lifter, and then you learned about it, like you you know learned about it later on into your powerlifting career. Yeah. You know those grinds, maybe like those you know big lifts at meets mm-hmm. where you have the adrenaline going. Maybe I I would maybe grant out like a as a possibility but just general strength training alone or you know he says he's training in his garage like that kind of training where you're training kind of smooth and relaxed maybe now the getting hyped up and excited that probably would be the one thing i would like look at like if you're really getting gassed up for you know big lifts often i would maybe look at that first as far as anything else goes or caffeine those things yeah that's what i was gonna say the, the the monster chase down using it as a chaser for your fucking pre-workout is probably not going to be a good thing to do um another end of one study i won't mention the person's name but a high level power lifter actually came to me and i trained him for about a year after severe afib and uh it's like this study points to i mean we did not step back stop exercising we changed from like lots of maximal lifts all the time and got his body weight way down and that seemed to help uh and just did like you talked about more of a uh lifts that you don't have to get jacked up for more just punching the clock get your ass back in shape type of thing um getting in some kind of realm of cardiovascular shape again which you know I I've been arguing for decades now that powerlifters should be in um, and weightlifters you know you don't need to be in you don't need to be ready to run a marathon but 
you know, being out of shape hinders training even. Uh the days of the super heavyweight can't walk up a flight of stairs powerlifter is kinda gone and it's been proven that it wasn't the greatest way in the in the first place. I mean you're seeing the average powerlifter now is in much better shape than twenty years ago when the uh multiply ran the scene, you know, which it made sense back then. You take a hundred pounds of potatoes and stuff in a fifty pound sack and you get a lot more out of your gear. So <laughs> um, it's just it's just the truth. And you know, with the resurgence of raw, you saw the resurgence of lifters that are in better better general shape, uh a little more GPP and things like that. And just being able to finish workouts. But uh like I said, we kept training, you know, resistance training stayed in there and then we put in short short bouts of controlled like non boring cardio. You know, I have people do barbell complexes and things like that, uh, where it's go and rest, maybe 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, whatever. Uh, and just look for those triggers. And then also just controlling your diet, getting your ass back in shape, not being 100 pounds overweight, things like that seem to help help quite a bit. So I know for Sarah it's been a lot of uh, getting off processed foods, getting off all the sugars, things like that has been a big like drastically dropped occurrences. Like I think last year she had two uh, in all in the whole year compared to when it's yeah you know she's a competitive runner and competitive weightlifter and uh, lots of hard training and you know gaining weight and things like that. But you know we kind of put that to the wayside and do controlled lifts. You know what's hard for the day? Maybe go up to an eight type of thing. Uh, but definitely didn't stop training. Hell, like you said, then you're just on this downward spiral. That's always, I hate that that's always one of the things that doctors prescribe. That's they the first seem thing. to go to that first. Yes, it's like, <sighs> it's just the same as like after surgery years ago. And they're finally starting to change that. They wanted everybody laying down. Now it's like, no, get off your ass. Move around. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the healing times drop drastically. So, I mean, the only, and this is what kills me about any of that advice, and sometimes even from like PTs, like physical therapists and stuff too, right? So you look at how they see patients or how they see people Mm -hmm. where it's like for that period of time, if they're healthier and then they leave, right? Like it's like for whatever short period of time, whether it's the recovery process of something. But PTs, just until the injury is mostly recovered, right? But then when you give them long-term advice based on that short period of time, it's like, it's always this crazy safety protocol, which it kind of defies. It defies just the basic logic of, you know, life in general, like avoiding strength work. Like how how could being stronger just generally the, the aspect of being stronger, not necessarily competing or, you know, anything like that. Like just like, hey, you should get stronger, like build a baseline of strength or whatever. Mm-hmm. That is always thought of as like this. Like, you know, novelty concept where it's just like, if you want to do it, sure, but there's no health value yeah, in the medical field. And if you think about it for five seconds, it's like, how, how does that help your like lifestyle in general? Yeah. If you are weaker, what is the consequences of being weaker? And like at the extreme level of, you know, being weaker, not super extreme because a lot of people deal with this, but like I said, like doing laundry, right? So, 
at least uh, mom's house, there's flights of stairs down to the basement. Mm-hmm. Let's say avoid exercise. That trip downstairs with stuff gets harder and harder as you get weaker and weaker. Yeah. And so your heart rate goes up more and more each time that, like, well, as you get weaker, it's a bigger chore. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what, just in terms of the logic of it, 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 it doesn't really make sense. Now, should you, should we make some accommodations for, you know, whatever these things are? Like, absolutely, for sure. Don't, like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that everyone needs to do, you know, whatever, powerlifting or, you know, that kind of stuff. But or performance related stuff, but the the aspect of getting stronger being like a huge problem in terms of health, I just think it doesn't take the whole picture into account, and it spins you down this kind of you know this path where it's like your lifestyle, your life in general, will just get worse and worse and worse yeah. because everything will get harder and harder and harder. Yeah, another one they do it on all the time, I'm sure you've seen, is patients with, like, chronic arthritis. Oh, and yeah. of course, they're told, just stop doing things. And then they go on this huge downward spiral of, okay, I can't do things because they hurt. And now they get steadily get weaker, and they can do even less. And no matter, they're still in pain. Yeah. They're just, they're in the same amount of pain, but can do even less. Because they've they've taken this, you know, they try to not do anything. So then it's just this huge downward spiral, and now they're really weak and in pain. And yeah. the ones I've seen the best are, you know, they just keep doing it. They're like, okay, I know I'm going to be in pain, but I'd rather be in pain and be able than be in pain and be unable. Yeah. So it, it gets worse when they don't don't go ahead and train. And, yes, you have to change things, it, just like with, with the AFib. You know, with my arthritic clients, we we figure out what hurts the least. And we do those things. Um, but we keep strength training. You know, we try and keep the strength up, you know, because if not, they end up, you know, next thing you know, they're buying one of those chairs that makes them stand up for them. And then, and then they can't walk. And then, you know, you're wheelchair bound. And you're still in fucking pain. And all you can do is lay in bed. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I That's probably one of the things just with not not all PTs by any stretch, but. Like, just the medical community in general, and then, you know, I have a separate issue with PTs, but just that medical community where they focus so hard on that that one portion of their life that's, like, you know, uh, moves away from the standard of health, right? Mm-hmm. They focus so much on getting them to zero that it's like they forget every other lifestyle concept whatsoever. And I, I would say of of training modalities between like endurance, strength and stuff like that, I would say strength training is the is still the least understood in that community of mm-hmm. the endurance is the most like that is you want to talk about just like a band aid blanket statement for everything is do cardio. Like yeah. Yeah. they'll be like, Oh, all you need is cardio. Your legs will get strong from just walking on treadmill or doing cardio, like no they won't. Like that's not strength. Like let's make, the, let's make this distinction that can do. Uh, and there's other aspects too that if there's more money in the subject, because the difference between like even that difference in that study where it's like high intensity, like having slight slightly better outcomes, but mm-hmm. on a 
small control group than aerobic. I mean, just just from a standpoint of all right, so this is when you're when you have an AFib, it's usually up. It's usually not down, right? Yeah. Like so, you it's higher. So don't you? And it's a neural thing in this case. In SVT cases, usually a neural signaling misfire. So wouldn't you theoretically want to like pave those roads a bit better and like get there sometimes like under control? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like so getting into high intensity stuff, like not not like, you know, CrossFit or anything like that, like we're going too crazy with it, but doing some high intensity work that gets your heart rate in, into a higher range. Wouldn't you think that would, you know, pave that pathway a little bit better than just straight up low intensity aerobic? I mean, it makes sense, but that doesn't. It's not what's standardly prescribed is the problem. But, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. just, exactly. Just, just from a, like, if you just think about it for five, you know, what I mean, like, if you have an understanding of some phys- physiological principles or whatnot, like the thing that, and I would say this with neural stuff too that they see with um you usually see this in like military stuff is like strength training is one very consistent simple way to pave neural roads like neural link mm-hmm. right yeah like it's one of them like you're going to see strength gains from neural before you ever see strength gains in your muscle right like you're yeah. you're going to contract more muscle than you know whatever yeah so wouldn't it make sense if you have a neural condition to, you know, start paving that road like a, a little bit deeper every time, as opposed to avoiding it altogether. Well, yeah, and dropping your overall heart rate and everything else along with that, because you're, and that's what people talk to me about, like blood pressure and pulse and, uh, well, cardiovascular health and weight training. And I think that's one of the things that's highly ignored. If you see, basically, I still love to do this, and we, I haven't found a way to do it, like. Measure blood pressure in the bottom of a squat or a heavy clean. I would love to, if we found a way to, like, in that split second, be able to measure it. Uh, but, uh, you know, basically weightlifters and things are consistently spiking their blood pressures to the point that your body's like, oh, shit. You know, he's spiking my blood. Your body doesn't want that. Your body never wants to be out of balance. Um like, it has this range. It's like, this is the comfort range. It fights to stay there. Body fat, you know, heart rate, any of that shit. Unless you do things to consistently push it out of whack. And, you know, you're you're consistently pushing your blood pressure and, and heart rate out of whack in short stints to where, you know, if you were resting, blood pressure was, you know, 118 over 104, and you're consi- you're going to die if you get under a heavy squat. So basically, over time, your body lowers its baseline due to the fact that you're constantly spiking it. The bodies are amazing machines, and they do that type of shit, you know, um, when you consistently push something at it. Um, it's just like when people, when you have people losing weight. You know, generally, I keep, I try to keep heavy-ish near maximal loads in somebody's training when they're trying to drop weight because nothing tells your body, hey, I need to keep this muscle more than than heavy load. You know, oh, he's consistently doing this. Fuck, I need to keep some of this. I need to keep some of this muscle around because this guy's life depends on it. 
Um, and it's the same with your heart and things. Like, oh, this son of a bitch consistently maxes out our heart rate level. If we're baselining at redline, that's not a good thing. Um, <laughs> we need to drop our baseline down because if not, we're going to die. Your body just wants to live. At the end of the day, you know, I think we've talked about this before. I mean, the goal of your body is to live long enough to procreate. That's it. It doesn't care if you own a, you know, own a nice house, a nice car, this and that. It's basically it wants you to live long enough to make more of the species to move on. Um, that's the baseline of simple life. You know, eat. What is the eat, sleep, mate, defend? You know, <laughs> when there's you know, I mean, it's just that's the basics of your body, and it's going to do what it can if you for it to 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 live a long time. But uh, yeah, Ronnie, I would I would just kind of do what you're doing. I mean, you basically kind of said that you've slowed things down, you've changed training a bit, you started identifying your triggers. Yeah, find the things that fuck it up and. I wouldn't even leave those things, ease into those things. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if, if pushing your heart rate up with a bunch of kettlebell swings sets you off, okay, usually around the five minute mark, I get set off or whatever. Fine. Start pushing to two and a half minutes. Slowly yeah. ease that up to where you can hit five minutes and not do that. Uh, I think it's a faulty thing like Jarrell's talking about to, well, that set it off. So I'm just not going to fucking do it at all. Um, yeah. You know, get your body used to that activity, but yeah, and like particularly with that example, like breaking stuff down, even on the conditioning side, like the just using the kettlebell swing example, say you do five minutes and break it out into an every minute on the minute thing, yeah, right, where you you training can feel pretty simple and easy, um so it depends on the training style too, so don't. Don't get too wrapped up in this like kettlebell swing thing, but you know, like break it out. Let's say I know this is this is just the I think it's Pavel's simple and sinister stuff, right? Um, Hundred reps, but it's basically most of the time you just do it's like five on each arm every minute on the minute for ten minutes, right? So that's the and that's maybe twenty seconds of work and forty seconds of rest. Uh, it doesn't feel crazy, but training can feel like that. And even like moving from, and this is getting way too far in the weeds in terms of the strength training, but what I would say is like an American style. So American style periodization is like to push, push weights, add weights, add intensity each week, basically. That would kind of be my summation of what most American mm-hmm. training styles look like. Um, with the exception of like, you know, Ed Cohn and stuff like that. Um, or even Jim Windler. Like training easier where you're lifting some of the same weights more often and then yeah. once in a while testing. You know, it's more of if you get deep into the weeds, you're looking at like kind of the Chico stuff or um I forget the Norwegian probably coach's name, but it's like Dietmer Wolf or something. Mm-hmm. But they basically, so they, they have their percentages based out for, let's say, I think that it's usually like a 12-week cycle. It's like prep, prep, comp, so four weeks, four weeks, four weeks. And then at the end of the comp cycle, if you're not doing a competition, all they do is add 2.5% to each of the lifts and essentially go through that training cycle again or like a similar training cycle again. Mm-hmm. So they don't actually ever max out, you know, so all the weights – always look, feel, seem easy in training. 
And then when they go to competitions, the goal is to obviously beat the brakes off everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. switching your philosophy to something like that, where you're kind of doing a lot of work in the, it was like 65 to 82%, 82 yeah. and a half yeah. percent range. And then once in a while, pushing forward, like switching to a training style like that might be a little bit more effective because you're not, you're still building your overall system of strength, but you're not pushing your body in a intense rep situation, like a three or a five rep mm-hmm. type of max. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think it's a good time for implementing it. Something that we implemented years ago. It's like, Outside of a meat situation, in like maximal lifts aren't true maxes. Is what we go to. Basically, we go to something you can do that's really heavy in perfect form. Like a true max to me would be like anything you can to make the lift. You know, and in meat it doesn't fucking matter. There are no style points. Even in weightlifting, it doesn't matter if you bounce all over the platform trying to save a jerk as long as you did it within a confined set of rules. It doesn't matter how pretty it is to a point. It's still lifting weights. But in training, you know, our goal is perfection. So, like, we'll cut off if I'm doing a test for a young athlete or something. We're trying to test where they're at in progress. It's it's a max attempt under the rep scheme done in perfection. Once we start seeing imperfections, that's when it's called. You know, yeah, we could have jumped up another 20, 50 pounds, whatever, and still made it, but it would have been ugly as shit. It's like calling it, okay, I did a three perfect reps. Good. There's my baseline. Now next time, three perfect reps, 10 pounds more than that, whatever. Um, It's not redlining. This kind of brings us into another question I had yesterday from one of my lifters that's now moved on, and he's become a PT and a coach. Uh, the definition, what would be your definition of maximal training under the, like his, his question was, he, he's been doing a ton of reading and he sees that strength gains can't be done. Strength gains aren't found in, in submaximal training. And I argue against that, but his, like his question then was, what would you call maximal training? Uh, what what would be your definition? And I'll kind of tell you what I told him. I'm just interested in hearing what yours like. What's your definition of submaximal training versus maximal training? I mean, honestly, if you're talking about so maximal training for us would be essentially pushing our rep counts only to 80 percent plus. This is kind of how I mm-hmm. essentially do it. Like, so our comp cycles. Prep cycles, I count every rep above the 60% range, and we keep most of the reps between 60 and 80. Mm-hmm. And then when we get to comp cycles, I don't count too many of the 60. Like I hardly count any of the 60. I only count 70% plus with the 80 to 90% range being the primary um, reps that you take in training. So that would be basically mine, like, Submaximal would be our prep cycles, which are 60% plus, um, really 60 to 80% on average in our comp cycles where it's like 80% plus with, uh, probably like an average. So 
the average relative intensity would probably be mid 70s, but even getting close to the 80% range. Okay. Would you say, you know, my argument was basically to me, maximal training, I mean, Westside's a good example of it. Yeah. You know, their max effort days. Where you're just pushing the maxes themselves? You're, you're redlining in training a yeah. lot. You know, no matter the rep count. You know, if you're doing 20 rep squats, you're fucking getting the point where 20 is it. Or damn near close to it consistently in training. Instead of breaking things down into, you know, in, in my mind, anything rep and set scheme based and percentage based is submaximal training. You know, you're hitting numerous sets at a manageable weight you can do five sets of five, three sets of ten, whatever. Um, but in my mind, I mean, uh, from what I've seen in the last 20-some-odd years or whatever the hell it is, I would go the opposite of what he's saying these people are arguing. Like, all the strength gains that I see are gained in the sub-maximal training. Yeah. And basically all we're doing in maximal training in that competition phase is realizing the strength that we've already gained. You know, you're not gaining strength by doing five singles. Um, you're getting used to heavy loads again. You're getting normally adapted. You're you're realizing the strength that you gained three months prior doing all that submaximal shit. Um, yeah. Because if not, basically, I mean, look at powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting. If that was the way to get stronger, basically, we'd just do a mock meet once a week, mac and fucking max everything every week. And magically get stronger, and it just doesn't work that way. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, even if you look at the so talk about a team that like well, let's say the extreme of maximal training would be like the Bulgarians mm-hmm. max out every day, every session. Yeah, their big thing, like I said, that's where I stole it from. Is they only counted eighty percent plus lifts. They did it yeah. all year round. They only yeah. counted eighty percent plus all year round. Um, so, but their average, like, top set was, like, it's the perception of maximal, was the perception of maximal, but not absolute maximal. Yes. And if you talk to any of the people who are involved with some of that stuff, I mean, even if you, I mean, uh, Max Ada has a good podcast on it from a while back where he talks about, I think he said, he called it Krista. Mm-hmm. Where it's like the Bulgarian team, they would all get get with each other and be like, "Yeah, we're taking it easy today." Like, and I've even heard crazy, like crazy stuff. Like, uh, I think he was the one who told this story, or somebody else who had some experience with it told it, where they would load a bar on one side to look like it was whatever weight that Abijayev wanted, but on the other side was a lot lighter, and then they would just set up closer to that other side. <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, hit the lift because he always sat on the same side. Yeah. And so they would, like, they would play that game. Like, oh, we're always always trying to, like, low-key get out of it. So they were all, like, the Bulgarian program we think of might actually have been also submaximal. Like, not yeah. – it's definitely the most maximal we know of, of a program happening. But no one does, like – so not one team now that I can think of trains – like to that extreme anymore. Even the yeah. Bulgarians don't, I don't think. But you look at like people who've had success, like the let's say the Russians, the Chinese, over a long period of time, it's always that seventy to eighty percent range that they're training in. Yeah. Regardless of what drills or whatever they're doing. 
70 to 80% for the lifts, and then, you know, the squats are their heavier lifts. But, like, even when you look at, so the last thing I saw about Lasha was that they base all of his squats off of his clean and jerk because they're like, he doesn't need to squat. He's not trying to win a squat championship. He's yeah, trying yeah. to win a snatch and clean and jerk championship. So he's he squats like, I want to say they base it off like 120% of his clean, which is still really heavy, obviously. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's damn near clean and jerking him, yeah. 600. So. Yes. But he does speed squats, right? This is yeah. be sub-maximal. I mean, it's the the idea that you can only the only time you realize strength is when you do maximal loading is a very short sighted type of study. Essentially, yep. now it depends on what the actual definition is. If they're saying sub maximal loading or maximal loading is in the like above it has to be above seventy percent or something like that, yes. cool, but. If they're just saying submax load, like doing reps at 70% is valueless, then that is, I mean, I would honestly say in terms of the real world, that does not match anything that happens in the real world. Yeah. No, and your story about the Bulgarians is that it reminds me of a story Jim was telling me, Wendler, about uh, Westside, like when he was training to squat 1,000. And uh, Louie would always give him shit because on max effort days, he'd call it at like an eight. Um, He wouldn't push it to red line. And... So he was healthy. He wasn't that beat up. He was working hard, but he's getting into that 80 to 90% range, not that 100% for the day range. But I think, you know, from – I'd never trained at Westside, but I was fortunate enough to train with people that trained at Westside and that were in constant contact with Louie. And the most – like I did a conjugate-style program before I met these people and trained with them. And then the the conjugate-style training we did in person – was totally different, and it was less of a maximal training thing than I think the average population understands through Louis' writing because of the fact that um, everybody's like, oh, it's max every day, so we're going to a hard three or whatever. We're going to a max three. And, you know, what I saw in the actual training was it was more of a you warm up, you get to a three that's tough, and then from there the goal is not – like, you could take one shot and go right up. Like, I can judge. Like, if I hit a set of three at, I don't know, 585 or some shit on squat, I can judge, okay, I've probably got this much in me today. And so most people would then jump right to that really hard set of three, knock it out, shift themselves a little bit, and call it a day. Um, under the west side protocol or conjugate, whatever you want to call it that I was doing because it wasn't at west side, um, we would find that first set that starts getting hard. And then from there, your goal was to take, not jump up to that maximal set that you think you can hit, but to take three to six small jumps to get there. So it was getting a volume of training that's done on lifts you can hit, but you're in that 80% range uh, for the day. And you're getting multiple sets, and that's where you get your training stimulus. And I would even call that, you know, to me, under my definition – that would be anything you can do when you're doing multiple sets. It's not maximal. You know, a maximal set would be, holy fuck, that was hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you're putting three to six sets in and to find that daily max, and then, of course, that let's say I was good for 675. 
even though it started getting hard at 585, I could have done 675. Now I probably won't hit that 675 for the day. But yeah. I did six other sets. You know, so I'm wore out. And the, 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 the total goal was strain for the day. Reach yeah. a load that you strain on over multiple sets. And that's where they got their volume in. Um, so I think the volume drastically lowered for the general population that just read things on conjugate. Uh, yeah. Because they'd shoot right for that. Like, the goal is three, so they'd move right to that fucking three. They'd have four warm-up sets and one max set. They're done. Yeah. Um, instead of, you know, drawing that out over 20 sets or so. So, um, Yeah, my, my guess is if – depends on what he's reading, essentially. But my guess is it's like they're referring to a maxim, maximal muscular contraction. Yeah. Which is like if you – if – in strength training, we don't, the muscles are like a side effect. The nervous system is the target. Yeah. Right? So it's not like, and is it Mel Sif stuff? It's really West Side stuff too, but the three ways to drive your weights up. Max, max effort, dynamic effort, like moving the weight, improving the velocity, and repeated effort, which would be essentially the sub, sub max category, but they, Westside uses that more as like bodybuilding type stuff, like just um, like very high reps for like localized assistance work. The the Russian protocols that that came from was like assistance work for them was like, let's say you're doing, let's say deadlift, right? So an assistance work movement that they counted for deadlift would be like your RDO. It's like very yeah. similar and still heavy. So they're they're a little bit different, but in terms of how Westside took it, it's like the majority of your reps, and Louis talked about this a lot. Eighty percent plus of your reps are sub maximal. They're like mm-hmm. you know reps, doing reps, bodybuilding type stuff. Yeah. Not and I, which I think he was correct on the maximal stuff. Also probably correct on to a degree. Problem is. With most people, you cannot. There's no way that you can use that without increasing the injury risk, so to speak. Yeah, and that's the problem that we get to. You start talking maximal training. That's what I was going to say on the Bulgarian stuff. The benefit they had and the benefit Louis had. Like, if anybody, if you want to get a good glimpse at it, watch the West Side versus the World documentary. I mean, he very much had a Eastern Bloc philosophy. Don't mean shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're expendable. The only thing that matters is records, and that's the same thing like the Eastern Bloc countries said. They don't fucking care. It's just whoever lived through the training is who goes to the Olympics. Yeah, you know, whoever lives through it is the one that breaks records. Um, and that's you know, I'm not sold that that's a great way to go for general population. <laughs> I mean, you're just gonna athletes, break it. Yeah, for athletes in general, if you want to have a long life, I mean, uh. So- and this is a comparison that whenever they get into the Eastern Bloc, because I'm sure it's like more heated discussions over there, but whenever I've heard it or talked to people about it, like, uh, I had a, had the experience of being able to talk to Piros a little bit when I, you know, coached on the international team. Um, this is a while ago on stuff and just ask some questions, some of the higher up weightlifting coaches. But one of the main arguments they make about kind of the Russian style, which I would just call it that because every country was using Russian style stuff for a long time, but which was much more sub max training. Yeah. Um, 
than the Bulgarian stuff is that the careers were longer. Yeah. Like you look at, they would always bring up like Taranenko. Mm-hmm. So Taranenko's last record, he hit when he was like 36. Yeah. Right. And they would say that the Bulgarians, it's like they were spent by 28. Like they're done. Yeah. And so you were only getting, and like their thing was the Olympics, right? So like we're even world championships to them. We're like, yeah, that's fun. But the Olympics is the target. Yeah. You would only get like two Olympics, maybe you might get a third, but like two Olympics, one not being your best and one being your absolute best. They just had a ton of lifters in that time frame who were yeah. killing people. And so it's easy when you have like a fresh stable of new people every, you know, every really four every years. Year that, yeah. That you yeah. plug in are elite athletes. Yeah. But. If you want, like, the longer career, also, I mean, let's be real. Like, the Bulgarian-style training, if you just do that, you're just going to look like a nerd. Like, no one's even going to believe you lift weights. Like, you just, <laughs> like, at least if you lift some sub-maximal reps and volume, you're going to build a little bit more muscle instead of just worrying so much about the contraction. Yeah. You'll be a lot safer. I mean, look at the lifters now that are doing really well, like the Chinese lifters and stuff. They, I mean, shit, they have impressive physiques. Yeah. Right? Like, it just, I mean, it's a part of the territory with that. Now they do a lot of extra bodybuilding stuff too, but, but yeah, I mean, it's just, that's a high risk way to, like, you might get, be the strongest guy in the room. You, one, probably won't look like it, and two, it is a rough way to go about it. It's very, it's a high risk way to go about training for strength. Yeah. I mean, look at powerlifting and how it's evolved, you know, and, well, culture in general. The culture in general today is they have a 30-second attention span. And so you see, we see it all the time now. Now, let's take drugs out of the picture, and that is a part of it. But uh, um, you compare the careers now to the careers in Ed Cohn's age. Like, he had a long career of slowly, you watch it, it's a steady incline over 20 years. Um and then it was, you know, even a steady incline in his elite years where it's world champion, world champion, world record, world record, world record over 10 years. And but you look at his training and it was it was handled in a manageable way. And then you see people now and we've, I've seen hundreds of them like, oh, this guy's going to be fucking great. He's 20 years old and, you know, this close to a world record. And then a year and a half later, they're done. You know, their career's done at 23. (laughs) And uh, a lot of that has to do with the training style. I mean, and it's wanting everything now. Everybody wants to go from couch potato to Ed Cohn in two years. And uh, so they try and cram all this shit in. And, yeah, that works for a while. It's the same thing as CrossFit. I mean, we've talked about it a lot. CrossFit does amazing things to new people. Yeah. Like, in a very short amount of time, all that maximal redlining gets a person's – it changes the body really fast. And then – a year down the road, stagnation comes, and then right after stagnation comes injury after injury after injury from consistently fucking redlining. Um, and the people that do well in it, the people that end up going to the games, monitor that and slow it down, or they're just a freak, you know, much like the Bulgarians. You know, their body just held up to that con- consistent beating, but and they were good enough to go to the games, and now they're ruined. But... Um, you know, patience in strength training for a long career 
it's just it's it's beneficial all the way around. And yeah, there's going to be a point where you have to fucking push it if you want to be the best. Oh yeah, you're just going to have to. But uh, um, you're just not trying to spend and do that every week. Right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> like <laughs> trying to be the strongest guy at 24 Hour Fitness or whatever it is now, Genesis. You can be oh the strongest yeah, Genesis guy every day. That's exhausting, man. Like, do some volume. Well, on Instagram, it hadn't helped it and things like that. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, everybody posting their workouts and, oh, I got to fucking put up something today, you know, instead yeah. of like in Cone's age. Nobody knew what the fuck he was doing. He just hit his numbers. Like his, you know, his career might have been different with social media and yeah, the demand I, from everybody to yeah, always I, see so something I would, amazing. I, this is interesting. And we'll, maybe we'll go on to this next time. It's like the effect of social media on Really just strength training. But I almost think it was better. I mean, not that everything is better before social. I'm not going to be one of those. I'm not turning into a boomer right before your very eyes, guys. But, like, before the pressure of, like, social media and seeing, like, the highlight reel every day of every athlete. Whereas, like, you just kind of worked and you did your own thing and your information sources were smaller like you didn't have access to like i would argue like even the coaching like the distance coaching where mm -hmm. it's like you as a local coach you build up an athlete then a, then a big social media following team comes along it's like hey and you join that team your progress gets worse you know what yeah. I mean? like, and it's just being disconnected from the team the club aspect and like it to me makes it worse like even if you do it wrong with a group of people who's like training pretty well, you'll probably have a better outcome than if you do it perfectly right or whatever from some distant coach who's like, Oh yeah, like put up a total for us. So we, you know, look good on Instagram, mm -hmm. like just not knowing or yeah, it, I think that's, yeah, it, you're right. I think there's a huge effect on particularly young people with that mm -hmm. too, where they only see the, you know, whatever the crazy heavy squad. And like, I got to do that every day, every day. Yeah. Dan Bell's hitting this. Yeah. yeah Dan Bell squatting 900, but he's also an 1100 pound squatter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, that was a good show. I'm going to go have a week off, go do some heavy good mornings or something. My training partner has to miss. So I'm just taking it as an easy day. What do you got going on this weekend? <laughs> I, I'm resting this weekend. It's kind of been a long, like, I've had a lot of weekends in a row where it's been doing stuff. Yeah. Meets and all kinds of stuff. So I'm, yeah, I'm going to chill a little bit this weekend. Do there some yard work. There you go. I will give a shout out to my Special Olympics guys. They have a meet in down there in Kansas City today. Mm. Uh, I can't go. I have a couple of graduations to go to, but I have three lifters down there. One of them is getting ready. This is his last little competition before he's going to the actual Junior Olympics. In June. And, uh, so good luck today, Skyler and Bo. And I, I don't know if Rod and Ella Miles are going. I don't think they are, but anybody that's going down there, good luck. Have a fun day. Do well. Nothing stupid. So, <laughs> all right, guys. Until next week, we will catch you later. <laughs>